Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. And of course, we do it all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso and with the end of the COVID-19 pandemic in sight, well, at least here in Australia... We are now seeing business slowly going back to work, but the world as we know it for sports reporting will never be the same after what we have been through. The recent pandemic and subsequent lockdowns have forced many businesses, especially those already struggling, to rethink their business models and to look at where they go next, not just in producing stories and content, but also how they make these new businesses sustainable. We're not just talking about the any old business we're going to be talking about in particular about sports media now as a show we've attempted to give you a mix of local national and international sports and issues and while some of these issues will be picked up by mainstream media it's a second tier and local sports news that often falls by the wayside now to discuss this, we are joined by a great friend of Triple H Sports. He's the founder and CEO of a new online sports news platform, Today's Tale, and he's been directly involved with spin-off sites that have become very popular, especially across Facebook, including Cricket Sydney, North Shore Sports, and the Northern Beaches Sports Tribune. And I'd like to say welcome on your debut to Paul Ryan. G'day, Anthony. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me. Very good. It's, it's, a, it's a weird world that we're in now, and it's... It's throwing up quite a few challenges with the way that we look at sports reporting now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've only just reading just three or four minutes ago that news are now closing down um, uh, a number of their um, mastheads in around regional New South Wales as well as uh, metropolitan uh, in Sydney. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different world. And unfortunately, we see so many sports reporters, that, especially in the past two months, that have been let go by AAP and, and Fox Sports. So it is a new world that we live in, but um, one that uh, is going to throw up some challenges, but it's, uh, it's just, we've just got to do things a little bit differently. Well, speaking of which, we couldn't think of anyone else, anyone better to join us to discuss this, uh, this podcast as well. Uh, he has been a friend of the bench from when we were at the other place once upon a time and now over at uh, 2 Triple H. Um, a long-time local sports reporter across the uh, the northern beaches. Indeed, one of the most popular uh, sports uh, personalities you could you could come across, and not just talking about his um, his love for Curl Curl Football Club. Um, formerly with the Manly Daily, and I believe the the Daily Mail. Uh, we'd like to welcome, really, the 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 doyen of football on the northern beaches andrew prentice good evening to you hello mate how are you going that's a very very uh, kind intro I'm very humble by that well it's it's the the honor is truly ours that you uh, you have been made yourself available of course uh, now living uh, i guess a new life with uh, wife and bub as well and i imagine juggling those responsibilities um, a very different responsibility compared to what you used to do with uh, football reporting. Yeah, it's certainly been a culture shock, but a very good one. Um, and working from home the past couple of months has uh, 
allowed me to watch my little little man grow up. Um, usually, a, a scenario that I would have missed being working in the office. So, if there's been any any, any good to come out of this uh, pandemic, uh, in a personal sense, it's certainly been watching uh, little Jack Francis grow up in my in front of my very eyes. And I, could, and I can tell you now, Paul, he's got his curl curl jersey ready ready to go on as soon as he turns five. <laughs> Fantastic, to Jim Young. We're going to go into two parts to this uh, this podcast, and the first the first part we're going to look at is really into the demise of of local print media, and in the second half of the show, we'll then talk about sort of what's come out of the ashes, and uh, especially with regards to digital media and the way that it's presented. So. Without further ado, let's kick straight in. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Well, let's get straight into it, gentlemen. And uh, we've, we've been seeing for a while the uh, local print media suffering a slow death for years, predominantly really driven by the availability of more targeted local marketing, um, especially available from internet and social media. Now, you know, being from being locally based to locally printed, there's been a continual push towards centralisation of operational processes. Uh, and, of course, what better way to represent that with the two areas that we'll be presenting to in particular than talking about the old Cumberland Courier Community Newspaper, um, which has obviously been rebranded to News Local. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, those, that is, of course, the, uh, the holding company that was in charge of the Manly Daily and the North Shore Times. So, Andrew, if I can come, come to you um, first off, really the – the changing face of what's been, what have been happening with local print media uh, and sort of talk us through some of your experience in terms of that dynamic with Manly Daily and the North Shore Times. Yeah, Anthony, I certainly saw um, a number of rapid changes over the years. Um, we, as you know, being a Northern Beaches local, we had the luxury of uh, when I first started at Manly in 2008 of five editions a week. Um by the time, and the reason I left at the end of December 2017 was that we shrunk to two print editions a week. Um, like you alluded to earlier, it, it was certainly reflective of the times. Uh, people these days, they like their instant news. Um, so, you know, we were, John Geddes and myself in sport, we, we were juggling our print focus, but primarily we really had to get our, our digital content out as well. So it, it became a real balancing act to judge that. Um, you know, and I think I think Northern Beaches readers, I won't use the word lucky, but they were, they were blessed is the word I run with um, when it came to sport coverage, just in terms of the column inches that John and myself were allocated. So as you know, Anthony, you know, we, apart from obviously our bread and butter with the Eagles, you know, we were given room with five, five print editions a week to cover soccer with Manly United and the local Premier League. We had extensive coverage of the Shoot Shield with Manly Moringa. Uh, we had Subbies Rugby. We had Manly Cricket in summer. We had Shires Cricket. We had Surf Lifesaving. Like it was it was a really good place to work. And, you know, with those, you know, daily deadlines, you, you felt like a real print journal, which I, I know makes me sound a bit old, but... Um, as soon as you know, that's what I was raised with my old man, is it um, uh, as well? So, you know, that, that, that's all that I knew, and um, you know, I, I knew that digital was obviously not going to be a fad, it was it was here to stay. Uh, and 
I, I did read the North Shore Times um, in addition to Manly um, when it was twice a week, every Wednesday and Friday. Then from then, I believe it went down to one edition a week. So it was just to use your words, Anthony. It died a very slow and painful death, and it was it was really bizarre to be a part of that. Um, I, I remember the, the the big wigs came in in the first week of December seventeen, and no one was given any inclination what was going to happen. We were just told that you know some of the the big wigs were coming in for a chat, which was nothing new, and. Um, yeah, I'll never forget it. They dropped they dropped the bombshell, saying we we're going to two editions a week, and and I remember everyone it was very frantic because, you know, the man of the day, Northern Beaches Institution, it was first published in nineteen hundred and six, I believe. So you know, well over a century in publication, and all of a sudden see that history just um, discarded for a better choice of words uh, to accommodate the digital world we now live in when it comes to media coverage. It was a reflection of the times, but it it also hit people for six. Um, on a personal note, I was I was pretty happy to move on. Uh, I'd been there a bit over ten years, and it was time for a new challenge. So it came at the right time for me. But um, I know it hit my colleagues, uh, the the older ones, very hard because they didn't really have any plan B. And um, in the end, it was a bit of a lot, lottery dip as to who as to who got to go and who got to stay and I, I chose to leave and it was all well and good and I, I took my pay out and walked off into the sunset but I also then was faced with the uncertainty of not having a job and I wasn't looking for a job because uh, I was happy with what I was doing so I was fortunate to get one relatively quickly in the new year in 2018 but um, it was very uncertain times but um, yeah, certainly memorable. And, and really, Paul, seeing from seeing, I guess, from the other side in a, a certain aspect, but you sort of talking about how that representation, that the connection that local media, local print media, would have had with the with sporting organisations, especially with the development of content for news local. It's, I guess, it's a connection that really it sort of hit like a, like a true system shock, not only for the, the locals, but also those very sport, those very much those sporting organisations. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, I mean, the whole, the changes over the past 10 or 15 years with introduction of Facebook, with people being able to upload their own content, self-generate, a lot of those local papers, and not just in Sydney, all in regional areas as well, the, the two main aspects of those papers, or three, was the, the front page the real estate section and sport. Now, the front page is still there because it's genuine news, but the real estate with the invention of realestate.com, um, domain, a lot of those expensive advertising um, assets within the the, region, the the local papers, they channeled, the real estate agents channeled their uh, advertising through to REA and, and domain. So the local papers missed out on revenue there, which then caused a few, which caused a lot of dramas. But sport... Sport's the cornerstone for most local communities, especially in regional communities. Um, sport is something that um, brings the community together. It creates a sense of belonging, um, self-esteem, uh, social awareness, the health that sport brings, the, the physical side and the mental side. So we all crave a sense of belonging. And grassroots, local and grassroots sporting communities are exactly that. And every Australian sporting legend any elite athlete, professional athlete started somewhere and they all started in a local and grassroots community. 
uh, from a sport. And the, the local papers have neglected that um, over the past uh, 10 years or so. And there is nothing more magical than a young, for any person, especially a kid, to see their name um, up in lights, um, being recognised for an, outs- an achievement or even just recognised for their efforts. It's absolutely magical. And you can speak to any sporting person at any level and they'll always remember and tell you intimately about the first time they saw their name in the local paper um, in regards to sport. So that's been... Um, that's hasn't been available now for a period of time. And we're talking, we're not just talking about rugby league, AFL, cricket and rugby union and, and the mainstream sports. I'm talking about uh, netball, cycling, gymnastics, tennis, swimming, volleyball, um, mountain biking. So that's all those sports. Um, it's got the power to um, inspire uh, generations, um, people that are, are looking for a sense of belonging uh, that hasn't been there for them because the, 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 the demise of the local sports newspaper, and, and that's been a really big, and that's been a really big thing has been that connection with those with the organisations themselves. Because uh, I can I can imagine Andrew that you would be going out creating your own content as part of it, but then you'd still also be reliant on those organisations, those clubs, and those individuals to be able to give you the lead into what could actually be um, very strong content, the opportunity to find who could be the next rising superstar within within sports. So how important was it um, for yourself in terms of having that relationship to keep developing that content? Oh, Anthony, it was absolutely pivotal. Um, you know, as, as you know, for instance, with Manly Cricket, they've got um, five grades as well as a very good junior system which filters down to, to Shires. And so, you know, no one really wants to read about Tim Crookshank hitting another 100 or... Mickey Edwards taking five wickets, you know those, those guys are first class players. That's fine, but it's all, it was all about variety. So you know, I, I was happy to to go and do a story on, for argument's sake, so, uh, uh, Billy Darcy, for instance, hitting a hundred and fourth grade. Um, you know, he, he's a bit of a character away from away from cricket, and he has a story to tell. And uh, I think it's important to make the readers. Well, it was important. I think they passed tenth to make the readers aware that you know that the players weren't robots. None, none of them were full time. Um, obviously, the guys in the lower grades that they were juggling university, they were juggling full time work. It's a massive commitment um, for, for any sport, and so you know I, I made it my business to to profile people, and if they had a story to tell, I was more than happy to do it. Paul, from your side, um, yeah, you, you've you've seen. A lot of it sort of coming through, um, but then you've also in your in your previous roles you've seen the impact firsthand of social media and the internet on, on local news. Uh, what has that really done um, over time in terms of the the shift away towards social media and digital content? In what way? How do you mean, mate? So, in terms of news being driven more by um, by pushing pushing articles and content onto social media to get it spread rather than um, going through digital, rather than having print media as the primary source? Well, print media, I mean, Andrew would probably know more than what I would, but I, I, coming from outside the industry, but print media is obviously pretty expensive and social media is such where you get your message out more quickly. Um, people's attention spans are a lot shorter than what, what they used to be, so people are pushing all their stories out to, to social media. But the key thing about local news and... and um, 
And Andrew touched on it then about writing a story about a young fourth grader or a person that's not necessarily an elite athlete in their local community is that most people can relate to them. They've all got friends, they've all got families, um, and they love reading about themselves. They love being recognised. What they'll do, and that's why social, that's the power of social media, is that they will then share it. So it's organic um, traffic coming through because they want to share their, their, their success uh, through their family, through their friends, through their work colleagues, um, through the grandparents, auntie and uncles. So that's how things can go viral pretty quickly. And that's these stories that people can actually relate to. Not many people can relate to going out to bat for Australia in the uh, first day of the um, Sydney Test or playing State of Origin or standing there for the National Anthem with the Wallabies. Um, they love it. Uh, but they don't necessarily can relate to it because it's something they've never done and many don't know people that have actually done it. But can you talk to people that um, playing footy uh, down at one of the parks down at Manly or, or Chatswood Oval or North Sydney Oval or can they playing AFL up at, um, uh, up at uh, St Ives? They can relate to that because they've actually done it and they know people that have done it. So they're more than likely then going to share that story and that's the power of what social media can do um, for sport. Now, the, it, had to be said, it has to be said that the situation did take a turn for the worst uh, when in the wake of the impact of COVID-19, News Local announced in April that it was suspending all physical production of all news local papers. Now, I will throw the question to both, uh, to both of you, gentlemen, and I might start with Paul to start off with. Will we see the return of the physical local newspaper or has COVID-19 possibly forced the hand of me of local media to now embrace the digital age. Oh, I think it's. I think it's, it's. It was always going to happen, but I think it's just accelerated it to 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 bring it forward to to now. People are making decisions. I think that's what COVID nineteen has done for a lot of businesses um, and, and sporting organisation. It's been a time to reflect on what their the way that they do the way that they do things, their business model. So, I think it was always a slow um, demise. Um, the romanticism has been taken away and I think uh, COVID has just accelerated the business decisions because um, people are watching their bottom dollar and people are watching where they're getting the biggest return on investment at the moment. It's digital. It's not, um, unfortunately, it's not people having the paper in their lounge room and, and um, spending the weekend reading it. Andrew, to you. Yeah, I'll, I certainly agree with what Paul said. Um Probably the the biggest thing that I've seen is that, um, you know, there was that sense of romanticism when it came to print media, but, you know, not, not, nothing in this world lasts forever. And I certainly agree that the COVID pandemic just accelerated what was really the inevitable. Like it just to, to, to keep um, literally printing um, manly dailies twice a week, it's just, it just wasn't financially sustainable. So, you know, I, I spoke to a lot of people about it, uh, including uh, the editor and, and, and journos is, is still worked it. and it was done with a heavy heart. But, I mean, really, it, it's, a biz- it's a business, not a charity, and it had to happen. It, and if, if the pandemic didn't strike this year, I de- I, it's probably safe to, safe to say um, without a shadow of a doubt uh, that the, the print would have ceased with, within the next two to five years anyway. And it's, and it's interesting you sort of mentioned about the uh, the people working at the at the print site um, and sort of certainly from a lot of the driving that I've had to do um, 
throughout my, my time and one of the regular places I somehow always seem to go past is that massive print site down in um, down in Kalora. Um, and even driving late at night, seeing the lights on and just even as you go past, hearing the, the press just just turning out. So, um, you, you talk about that romanticism and it's certainly there uh, in, in terms of the feel as, as you go past. So you just think, you know, could anything have been done to potentially save it or was it, uh, is, was it an inevitability that this was going to happen? No, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's, it's like, I'll give you an example. I seriously think that anyone, that any manufacturers out there that are running their business solely on, on manufacturing televisions now need to change their business model because how many of us are actually watching Netflix, sport off our phones the younger generation are watching youtube watching all sorts of things but they're not watching it on tv they're watching it off phones so if your business model is just all about um uh, manufacturing televisions i think you need i think that business model is is probably one of the next ones it could be quite interesting you're saying well can they survive in the next 10 or 15 years when the kid when the kids that are 17 or 13 15 AA now when they become early 30s Will they be watching television, a physical TV? Well, I mean, the, that would be an interesting point there because, I mean, you've got the advent of uh, smart TVs with uh, the ability to put apps in is, is one particular is one potential option, but then you're left thinking, well, if people are going to be just putting apps up there, what, what need is there going to be for the, the heavy technology that's going to be going in when it could be so much easier to just produce on a smaller scale and, and – and I guess Andrew, then as well, the the impact of the personal nature then you start getting with having um, media delivered on a hand device rather than say a newspaper or indeed through TV. Yeah, I mean it's a reflection of the society we live in these days, Anthony. Like it's it's a matter of convenience. All you, all you have to do is look around on public transport, in in cafes, in bars. I mean, I'm guilty of doing it myself, you know, like I mean, and it's sad to think about it, but it's just, it's the norm now where I can be talking to a friend of mine sitting two metres from me and I, I can be looking him or her in the eye and, you know, I'm, te- I'm texting at the same time and reading a football story. And this is not patting myself on the back. This is simply the world we live in and this is the norm now. And I guess the... the, the... <laughs> It's almost as if the the world has now sort of turned itself around from being something where the consumable is is something that you know stimulates the mind um, over and it sort of acts as a slow burn to now being that instantaneous um, consumption. And I guess Paul, not only in terms of the articles that will often be written, but also that the uh, the the way that the content has actually been delivered in, in a very snappy manner into the point where people are often rely on getting their news is almost within the the immediate blurb rather than actually going through the article itself for the detail uh, absolutely i speak to a lot of people on that and and they're saying that if they haven't got the gist of the story in the first two or three lines they tend to tune out um and that's why we're seeing a lot more short stories and 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 uh and even to the extent that you get a short story, then you've got to click to get the next story, which is a short story, which is then means there's um, two clicks, which um, which is how they sell their advertising on the amount of clicks and traffic they're coming through to their websites. Um, so yeah, there has been a huge change. I mean, the long form, long read, 
uh, articles, um, that, that is an interesting question about where that does go. And I'm going to be interesting to get Andrew's viewpoint on there because I see things now through some of the, the sports media outlets where you're sitting there thinking, well, did they actually get that story? Are they just regurgitating information they saw on someone else's site about 15 minutes ago? Um, so I think the art and the craft of being a journalist, I think that's that's an interesting question. I'd love to get Andrew's feedback on that. Oh, Paul, it completely changed in the course of my 10 years at Manly Daily. I, I, I remember being fortunate enough to you know go in the go in the sheds at Brookvale Oval post game and and talk to Des Hazler and and uh, and in the years that followed Jeff Tuvey and and certain players like your Kieran Forens and your Anthony Watmows and your Brett Stewart and your Matt Ballins and you know I, I'd sit down and it's not like in the seventies where you have a beer with them but the the, the biggest change is that um, you're able to sit there and just chew the fat and and talk about a number of things and. Those quotes were exclusive, like that was for your story and your story alone. And I noticed towards the end of my tenure at um, the Manly Daily um, and then when I moved on to NRL.com, it just became par for the course for journalists to share quotes. Like It, it puzzled me and uh, and I know a lot of journalists didn't like it, but um, that, it just became acceptable and, and the, the opportunities to go to um, a media session for argument's sake for the Seagulls at Narrabeen you'd be paying 100 to 1 to try and get a one-on-one. Um, and so you'd have, you'd have five journos talking to one one footballer and everyone's got the same quotes. It was just madness. But um, that that became socially acceptable. Um, the And over the years, I noticed the players became a bit more robotic, I guess, in their terms, that they had better, um, had better media training. They... They weren't deliberately disengaging, but they're they're a little bit cautious because I noticed with the the rise of digital media, there was a lot of shock value stories, in essence, generating clickbait. So a lot of footballers uh, who usually would say something off the cuff and and you'd have a few journalists laugh about it and not report it and just leave it, the younger generation coming through – who don't have any experience and don't care what the, who the the more experienced and the esteemed journalists are, they'll come in there with a directive from their boss and particularly guys on TV and they're told to ask questions in a deliberate deliberate and agitating way. And sometimes the players bite, most of the times they don't. But it's it was just a revolution of how it changed over the years. It was um, I thought it was quite sad, but that's that's um, that's that's the advent of digital media. Uh, thank you very much for that, guys. And um, I'm actually going to ask probably ask one more question with regards to that when we come uh, straight back from the break here. You are listening to Splinters of the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com. Uh, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore. And we're joined here today by Paul Ryan from Today's Tale and uh, former news uh, news local journalist Andrew Prentice. And we're talking about 
um, the rethinking of local sports media. And Andrew, the, I think the last question we had, uh, I was going to post to you before we go into part two, uh, really about the I think the, what I think could be the biggest victim of the demise of local pr- of print media, and that's the piece around investigative journalism. Uh, and the, the, one of the examples, obviously, which is a brilliant piece done by the Sydney Morning Herald in the wake of the Melbourne Storm salary cap breach, but the investigations done by Andrew Webster, for example, going right into the detail of of how the Melbourne Storm, for example, got away for so long with the salary cap broadening that they achieved. Stories like this, you just get the feeling that they're not going to exist anymore in the new paradigm. Yeah, you're spot on, Anthony. It's it's a it's a like I said earlier, it's a reflection on 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 people. In my opinion, um, people are time poor. Um, I love reading those in depth, um, gritty um, profile. You know, uh, in in depth pieces, but they're few and far between because the 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 you know it just it just takes too long and. If you if you came in working in digital media and said to your said to your boss these days on a Monday morning I'm working on a yarn I'll have it to you by Friday it's going to be three thousand words they laugh at you like th- those days those days are over so on on rare occasions you do see them but I know myself being an ex journo that requires the journo to do the work in his own time or her time um, before work after work on weekends you know it, it's not easy it, it's and some some will do it obviously, and if, if you have a look, you, you'll see a number of, um, for instance, uh, news limited journals these days, like your in rugby league, uh, like your Paul Kent's and your um, Paul Crawley's, um, and then you see Matt Logue. You see a number of these guys working on on Fox uh, Sports in addition on television. In, in you know after hours to what they're doing with their print it's extremely demanding and i know these guys get paid accordingly but it it really is like sometimes you got to question how many hours there are in a day and and i take my hat off to them but it's 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 just a matter of i guess managing your time and whether you want to go that extra yard because you know if, if you're going to work 40 50 hours a week on top of having a family i mean there's only so many hours in the day yeah absolutely and well let's we from there, we now go into what um, is going to counteract, we think, the, um, the slow demise of local printed media. Um, individuals and organisations have been forced to become more creative around content creation and business model creation as, as this paradigm shift really takes hold. And you know, this includes the rise of podcasts, the increased deployment of social media and news reporting, the development of new business models to cater for what is now an empty market. Um, news local now pushing all of their co- co- local content behind a, a membership paywall. A gap has existed to provide local news without the need to promote through a paywall. In other words, how does a traditional newspaper business model reinvent itself into the new age of digital print media without a substantial change into the into the business model? Now, very happy to say on a sports front, we've seen the development of the first significant attempt to build that bridge into the new media world. And Paul... Of course, we are going to be talking about uh, sort of the development of today's tale and sort of where it's come from, what the expectations are and where it's going to go. So, you know, the I guess the big thing is your your ambition for this was to pro- uh, content providing, provided by locals, for locals, looking to promote their sporting organisations at no cost to them. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so what what we've created is there's one very very important aspect to that, which I'll get to in a minute. But it's a so today's tale. It's it's technology. Is it a retail brand? No, not really. Um, but it's a technology play, just like uh, I don't want to be too over the top with it. So please bear with me. And it's not ego. It's it's you got Facebook, you got LinkedIn, and you got Twitter as technology plays. So what we've created is technology that allows. Um, people or to license the platform so that they can go and build and grow their own sporting community. And that could be by location, i.e. the Northern Beaches Sports Tribune, which is sport all the way through from um, um, uh, the, the Spitbridge to Palm Beach, or it could be by a niche sport such as cricket, rugby league, uh, football. So it, it's allowing people to license the platform so they can then go and create their own sports, digital asset, sports business. And the other key thing with the platform is it, that the, the editors, the licensees, the editors, they're responsible for the content, but they're going out and speaking to all these local clubs, the netball clubs, the cycling clubs, the gymnastics, the swimming, the tennis clubs, and speaking to them and allowing them to self-author uh, their own content to so self-generate. Now, that's exactly what Facebook does. But the key with Facebook is fantastic uh, medium, but all we all put our content on there, which is which is fine. But Facebook owns all the data and Facebook generates all the revenue. So what we're looking to do is show to the clubs, hey, you can self-generate your content under the licensees, uh, authorizations, but you're able to then embed your sponsors' logos with inside that content. Now, that's the key thing with local and grassroots sporting communities. They can't survive without sponsors, but unfortunately, it's local and grassroots sporting communities, a business sponsoring is has almost been in the form of a donation because there's no real tangible way in which they can get a return on investment. What we're, we're showing them through the local and grassroots licenses that we're creating is not only a business opportunity for the editor and the licensee, but also where the clubs can generate new revenue streams by being able to promote their existing sponsors um, because that is important for them to be able to survive. So when you combine all that with young kids seeing their name up in uh, lights, second, third, fourth tier sports being promoted, and sponsors being able to promote it, you then got a nice, neat little community. It's all about sport, and it's all putting something back into sport. It's inspiring people. But the main, the, the key thing is the ability to license to create your own. And, and we've seen this, Andrew, uh, for example, with um, all sporting organisations, we're hearing it right now, the challenges that they're going to be having, not only with trying to see if they can restart a 2020 winter season, but then into the the summer season for 2020, 2021, and these sporting organisations, they're going to be struggling um, for mid, short to medium term revenue as a lot of the organisations that would normally be sponsoring them through traditional means, they're not going to be able to have that disposable income to be able to throw at these the sporting clubs as a token of goodwill and a little bit of um, exposure. Uh, positive um, PR exposure with with sporting clubs. So, do you think that this could be? Do you think sort of from from what you've seen with this, some of the sporting organisations, this could be a way for them to be able to re-engage and show that we can actually help to deliver um, tangible uh, views and awareness of the brands that are supporting their own clubs. 
Well, absolutely. Um, it's it's a it's a very fine balancing act, and I've had a look at um, today's tale in, in depth, and I've I've seen what what Paul's doing, and I really think um, the sky's the limit. Um, I think they're marketing it the right way, and I, I really like what they're doing. The fact that they're putting it back on um, on organisations if they if they so like um, to contribute, like. Um, it's all well and good for a journo to come in and pump out 10, 12 stories in his or her style. That's fine. But the fact that Paul and today's tale has put it back on, for argument's sake, Roseville fourth grade cricket, if there's a character in there, you know, who's been at the club for 30 years, well, you know, Joe Public want to read about him. Um, well, you'd think so anyway. Um, I certainly would. I want to hear, you know, if he's a merchant banker away from cricket or, you know, why does he play? Is it because this was instilled by him, by his father? Um, you know, these I, I want to hear these tales. And and when it comes to sporting organisations, no no one could really prepare for this pandemic. It, you know, it, it's obviously you know had a had a global effect and um, on a on a local front where we're going to see, as you know, Anthony. Uh, Hopefully, soccer will start soon, as well as other sports like your rug, your rugby's and your uh, rugby leagues. And um, so they're slowly starting to return to training this week, but we still don't know. We're only working on rough dates when the season's going to finish. Um, what does that mean for cricket? Like, what, what's the crossover going to be from the end of winter sport through to summer sport? And then we go to a higher level and we see, for the first time in history, we're going to have um, state of origin in October and November, you know, for the first time since 1908. Like, it's just, um, you know, we saw the T20 World Cup put on ice. So um, it's it's just the world we live in, like, like I keep saying, and you've got to adapt, otherwise you won't survive as as an individual or a sporting organisation. Now, the, the big difference with this, Paul, um, with what we've got with today's tale, it's not just retailing the news and advertising. Uh, as you mentioned, the base of this new model is the back is the backing platform itself. It's providing solid foundation for new tags, new websites with tailored domains. The flexibility, I guess, to play around with visual branding and layout, so you can create sort of a local feel about the content. And by by having local content developed by local people and local organisations, um, yeah, the content can then be used by organisations to develop a new stream to promote the club and business that that support their organisations. The key here is really returning. Um, the local feel of of sports media and tailoring it into what is possible within the digital world. Absolutely. I mean, the local community knows their community better than anybody. So they know that, that who the local people are, the local sports people, they know the local businesses. And what we're doing is, is creating an opportunity for all those people to be recognised. We, we don't want to be mainstream. We don't want to do it the traditional way. We want people to think outside the square. Just about every local community in Australia, every local sport. Now, the, one of the, in a way as well, I guess, you know, creating smaller targets, I guess, in a way, allows, means that businesses would be able to tailor their own marketing, say, through today's tale and ensure effective bang for their buck in terms of gaining exposure to their target audience. This is basically taking advertising to a very small but when you have a very small audience, but when you have a very small audience, they tend to be highly activated because it's directly relevant to them. 
Yeah, and sporting organisations are going to have to go with the flow and sporting clubs, they're going to have to do things differently. I know at local and grassroots, there are a lot of volunteers, but, I mean, you look at something that uh, Randwick Cricket Club, they've got 3,000 followers, local Premier Cricket Club in Sydney. They do wonderful things. I mean, today their captain, or one of their first grade players, did a 45-second uh, piece to camera promoting Elastoplast in terms of... Um, uh, they're being one of their sponsors. We're absolutely brilliant. They're going to do something different about way that we've been able to give something back to the sponsors and give something back to the business. They put on that on Facebook, but Facebook's a closed platform. Um, we then grabbed it, put it on the on, on, on Cricket Sydney, which is one of the platforms. So all that then did was it, it becomes an extenuation to their, um, their local sponsor and it helps them get greater recognition. Um, but, but that's what clubs are going to have to do. They're going to have to think outside the square of how they're going to promote those businesses that are supporting them. And and those that um, those that think outside the square and do things a little bit differently, they'll, they'll, they'll give themselves every chance of survival. The ones that are just going to rely on the donations, as you said before, the money just may not be there. And unfortunately, what that will do from the local and grassroots is potentially increase registration fees a cricket ball is still going to cost eighty dollars, so it's going to, it could either mean an increase in registration fees, and if so, what happens to participation rates? Can um, parents and can people be able to afford to play? So there's a balancing act that um, that very much of a, a concern for what's going to happen when we start getting back into sport full time. And it's one of the great. It's one of the great parts you mentioned before. Is the most entertaining piece and. Uh, Andrew, no doubt you've probably read a couple of these, but it's some of these personal tales of being out on the sports field who have often been absolutely brilliant to um, to read about and, and some of the weird and wonderful things that can indeed happen on a sporting field, no doubt that you've you've seen throughout your time. I have, and and, I, and I, the reason I like them is that they're relatable. I, I'm no... No athlete by any means, you know. I'm like, I'm like most folks. I go out there and have a go with my mates. So I'm, ne- I'm never going to represent my country in, in any chosen sport. But I'm happy to go to training once or twice a week and turn up on a Saturday and do my best. And then afterwards, have a beer, have a beer like everyone else does, and have a and reflect on the game and have a laugh. So if, if I want to read about a bloke who's a bit of a character in, in whatever his chosen sport is. I'm, I'm, I'm more than obliged to read that. I don't want to – and this, this, the same applies to many people. Not everyone wants to read. And, and this and this was a challenge at the Manly Daily, you know, and Anthony, you know, this being a local, the Seagulls had, had a virtual mortgage on the back page, which I didn't really agree with, but it was simply a matter of catering, catering to demand. Once, once digital media um, got bigger and bigger, we, we had access to um, – what stories were ranking well and what ones weren't. And and obviously I was happy to write stories on the Seagulls, but I thought it was a little bit excessive. And, um, you know, it, it was every single day, five days a week, 12 months a year, but that was what people wanted to read. Like I didn't see much value in, in doing profile pieces on, on Joe Boggs in the off-season. Like it's it's the middle of summer, it's cricket. Um I want to read about tennis players. I want to read about sailors. I want to read about cricketers. Like it's it's all it's seasonal. But um, like I keep saying, and this is the, the key the key issue when it comes to digital, um, you've got to cater to your audience. And that's really the challenge with it, Paul, isn't it? Is is you know how do how do you ensure that the catering to the audience continue, audience continues on? And I've often found that the 
um, with the way that today's salesman set up with your themed, with the theme sites in particular. Um, you know, I'm reading about, say, I'm bouncing in between Northern Beach Sports Tribune and, and North Shore Sports. By the way, we should do a quick shout out as well, of course, to Matt Cleary, who does head up the Northern Beach Sports Tribune. He's doing a fantastic job there at the moment. But I've often found my favorite site out of all of them has been Cricket Sydney. And some of the stories and the anecdotes that, that come out of that have been absolutely first class. Some of the stuff you would never see in print media. But this new paradigm just gives it the opportunity to tell sort of some of the richness that has come out of a sport like cricket. Well, I mean, you guys have said it before. The most of, we're all humans. We've all grown up. Everybody has a story and everybody can has a twist to a story. Everyone has a different way of thinking or everyone has a different way of presenting something, some funny, some more in-depth. Some of the quotes and some of the reasons why people do things, I mean, there's some wonderful. I mean, I remember speaking to a guy, 49 years of age. He um, He's played cricket for for 30 years straight and in great cricket in Brisbane. He's on the Cricket Brisbane platform. And he, high score, his opening batsman, his highest score is 70 in great cricket in Brisbane. He's never got 100. And you know, I said to him, why do you – Play. Why, why wouldn't you go down a level and, and, and try and get to the hundreds and, and so forth at a, at a park cricket level or something like that? He said, he said, I just love the game. It's given me so much. I've travelled the world and I just want to help young kids coming through. And it was an amazing, inspirational story. He loved skyhooks. He actually went and watched the, the, the re, um, reignite of the skyhooks in Paris. And it was just a story that you're right, would never reach mainstream. But every person in the club that he's played for over the past 30 years read it and they loved it. And that's, and that's what you're looking forward to. That's what you look to do. And, I mean, I, I can talk from personal experience with it and Andrew will know exactly who I'm talking about here. Is one of the articles that I wrote actually did get quite a bit of um, traction going on was about um, one Tim Burke and Andrew will attest to some of the stories that have come out of him as an example of characters. Yeah, he, he certainly fits the mould uh, with his birthday calls, that's for sure. See, one of, the, one of the stories, Anthony, that came out of the Northern Beaches, of which Matt did, uh, Matt Cleary, and thank you for, for recognising what he's doing. It's fantastic. Um, but Kerry Ballard on the Northern Beaches, he's 70 years of age, and they pitch stories to mainstream media or her friends pitch stories to mainstream media and no one ever took any notice of it. Now, this lady is 70 years of age over 70 years of age, she wins the world championships every year, over 70. And it turns out that she was um, Yvonne Gulagong's doubles partner back in the, the 60s and 70s, and she met this gentleman and she chose love over tennis and they had a family and so forth. Uh, but she was a, a, an elite tennis player, lives on the, has lived on the northern beaches for many, many years, um, but her story hadn't been told. And she's a, she's a world champion at the age of 70 every single year because she's just gone back. She's had a family, gone back and just loves playing tennis, travels the world, obviously pre-COVID. But it's a wonderful story, but it, but it needed to be told. But there was no medium out there of which someone was prepared to say, you know what, that's local grassroots. We're going to write about it. And the other one, of course, um, through the course that came through the course of the last cricket season, a wonderful achievement it was, was uh, Rob Aitken for the UTS North Sydney um, cricket club breaking the record for most appearances in first grade New South Wales Premier Cricket history. Like, what a story to tell. No one would have batted an eyelid on on local media about it, 
but uh, in the old print media about it, but on t- on something like on a platform like today's tale, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's aware how significant an achievement this is, um, and an absolute gentleman that he is. Um, indeed, all three Aitken brothers are absolute gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that that those are stories that people relate to. And, and Andrew said it before that people can relate to these stories because they've either met them at some stage, they've played cricket against them over the past 10, 15, 20 years. They've either got them out or been gotten out by them. And when they start mentioning names, and one of the great things about see that what we're all forgetting here is sorry, not you, not we're all not forgetting, but one thing that we people um, sometimes forget is when you look back at various sporting things, you think, oh, that was only just yesterday. And it was 1995, and it, which in the scheme of things, not that long ago. But you try and find stories or images around 1995 because it was pre-internet. So we've got just about every local community has 150 years' worth of content available to be sourcing and writing about and sharing and great stories out there because it's, it's in someone's head, it's in someone's it's 50, 60, 70 years of age, it's, it's in their minds, it's in their memories, and people love reading about that sort of stuff because it's, a lot of this stuff is pre-internet. So what we're trying to do is get it out onto the internet and it stays there forever. Gone are the days where media would adopt what would amount to a spray and pray mentality towards marketing and advertising. But with websites like today's tale, businesses can focus their marketing strategies towards specific targets and means, more effective messaging, and greater connection with their audience via locally produced content. So, Paul, how can people start contributing to today's tale and where can it all go next? Well, it's, it's, where can it go? I mean, our, our overall goal is to have 200 mastheads throughout Australia. That's every local grassroots sporting community, not just Northern Beaches or North Shore, but Armadale, Port Macquarie, Tamworth, Orange, Dubbo, Shepparton, Bendigo. They're all local communities. All those no- local newspapers we're speaking about that have, um, they're not, the print edition is going to go. The only way they'll survive is if they go behind the paywall. We're doing things differently creating job opportunities for journos. Journos that are people like Andrew that have done the, done the hard yards, learnt their craft. Um, they're too easily, with respect, Andrew, I'm sure you'd agree, but they're too easily pushed to one side with the next generation coming through that don't have their craft. And where do they go there? Where does the over 40, over 45 journo go? So what we're doing, looking to do is create business opportunities for them so that they can create their own digital asset, do exactly what it is they've been doing for the past 15, 20 years, but they're creating their own asset um, to, to, to build their business and then to go out and, and, and create that um, local grassroots sport that uh, we're all craving for. So that's our aim is to have 200 mastheads throughout Australia over the next, uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, and Paul, I, I have no doubt that, that you guys, you know, will uh, certainly get very close to achieving that, and I really hope you do. And it's, I noticed you raised a point earlier about a number of good journalists that you probably know, and I certainly know um, a number of uh, quality scribes from AAP and uh, Fox Sports who are now out of work, and all of us, you know, they've all got redundancies, not by choice, and and they're either in their thirties or forties, and they didn't really have a plan B, like they have a real passion for what they do, and. And, you know, they've, they've taken the average wage and salaries over the years and they've worked weekends and after hours and public holidays and all the things that, that pe- people just don't really understand what goes behind it. That I always found it funny, and you'll probably agree with this, Paul, there's a perception that sports journalism is glamorous 
because you're 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 around that that elite sporting environment and you're interviewing famous people. I can attest that yes, it was plenty of fun and I certainly enjoyed it and I, I did live and breathe it. But <clears throat> eventually, you, you just come to a stage where, well, uh, and, and many people do, some don't. Um, you kind of want to discover what else is out there, and, and obviously, if you if you get married and have children, that certainly accelerates your career path. But I do I do worry for the future for journo's above the age of thirty because a lot of them, like guys I used to work with at Manly Daily, for example, um, never contemplated leaving. Would have happily sat there and produced the same content until they retired in their sixties, and all of a sudden the the rug was taken from underneath them. And on the other side of the coin, I've spoken to guys like Dean Ritchie. Like I know, I know Dean very well, and Dean's been at the Telegraph for decades. My old, my old man, Tim Prentice, for example, my dad was there 27 years. Like Paul Kent, who replaced my dad when my dad left to get a radio, has been there since 2000 after doing five years at the Herald. Like a lot, a lot of these guys are just really passionate about what they do, but it, it really is a job for life. So. With these older guys, I'm happy for them because they've got that security. But at at other companies who aren't quite as established, like your Fox Sports, for instance, and your AAPs, which have, haven't been around for donkey's years, um, it seems that the older guys, they're not valued as much and they clearly cost too much money, so they get discarded, which is, to my point, just highlights how important what you guys are doing because, like you said, Paul, you're potentially generating work opportunities for very good scribes out there. Well, it's, I mean, today's sale, as I said before, it's the technology. We're creating a technology and it's an opportunity for freelance journalists to turn around and say, well, instead of me going and building my own technology, I've got an interactive collaborative site where I can start up my own, my own business, my own um, sports, whether it's a location, whether it's a regional town or whether it's by niche, whether it's a rugby league platform, whether it's a cricket platform, whether it's a netball platform. They can start their own and if they then have the community self-generating and all powered by the one piece of technology, that's an asset for them of which down the track they can sell. The Northern Beaches will become an asset for which Matt can turn around and that could be a, a saleable asset for him and his family. Now, that's unheard of in journalism. That, that's never happened before. It's always the the, the, the media moguls that have, that have generated all the, the asset and the wealth out of it. Um, but we're looking at ways and means of which the journo can create a business asset for them, themselves. So in other words, they can't be, can't be retrenched. They may not, depending on their business skills of how well they go, but they can't be made redundant, which is what's happening, unfortunately, with a lot of Fox Sports. And um, it's been happening on a weekly basis. And some really good, talented people, you sit there and wonder, wow, why are they letting those, those people go? Is it an age thing or is it just getting the next generation coming through at a lower cost? And that's unfortunately, they're all looking at their bottom line through COVID and saying, how can we save money? And there's always going to be a 22, 23-year-old that thinks that that life you just mentioned there is very glamorous and they're coming in on 50, 60, 70 grand and they're churning stuff out left, right and centre because they've got four TVs in there. But the craft's gone out sort of thing. So the 35, 40, 45-year-olds, where are they going to go? We'd love them, We'd love them to give us a call. Well, with that, um, gentlemen, that is uh, full time here on uh, on Splinters, and you know, I hope that everyone listening in to this will get gets a small taste at least of what's going to be capable now with today's tale and the future of um, of me- of sports media as a as a whole. So, I want to start off by thanking our two guests. First off, Paul Ryan, the the very best of luck with the the growth of today's tale. 
Thanks, Anthea. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat and um, share share some thoughts. Andrew Prentice, it is always a pleasure to have you uh, on the show in some way, shape or form, and we hope to continue working alongside you in the near future. Always happy to help you, my friend, anytime. Absolutely. That is full time here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast. Uh, here on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore. Run hard or run home, as I always say. Good night. Good night.